How is everyone's week today? Yeah, yeah, everyone good? Yeah, yeah, no one melted yesterday from the... Excellent, I like it. How's everyone enjoying this heat? Not good, no, no, yeah. I, I miss Washington weather where it's... The worst it is is like 50, maybe 40 and rainy. And the best it is is like 70 and rainy. I'm like, yep, I can deal with that all year. That's, that's what I want. No, so today we are doing our summer series at the movies, Theater and Theology, where we look at a few movies and look for biblical themes in them. And today we have a fun one. Today we are going to talk about Encanto. How many people here have seen Encanto? Most people. Excellent. Okay. So, for those of you who haven't, um, I'll kind of set the stage a little bit. Roughly, this is the story about a family who goes through a tragedy. Um, the family's abuela there, ah, where she is, there, um, loses her husband, and through this event, the family gets imbued with magic, and each of them has their own special gift, and they are tasked with protecting those people around them. The magic kind of is honed around this house, and that's kind of a good start from there. So you all at home, you can't see the screen, obviously, because I can't show clips online, and so we're going to mute you because I don't want the mouse coming after me. So just know we'll, you'll be muted periodically, but we'll kind of go through where the clips are. So you guys are going to be muted now. For the rest of you guys here, rather than have me talk about what people's varying powers are, why don't we just pass it off here? And I will have Maribel do it. There we go. So that, that gives us kind of a rough idea. Each member of the family is given a special gift to which they are supposed to use to help better protect the village, the people around them. Now, it was hinted at in the movie, Maribel, the person singing there, is kind of different in that she doesn't seem to have a power. They go through the ceremony where she's supposed to get her power and nothing happens. This leaves her in a weird spot of really not fitting into there you go, either of the worlds she's a part of. Her own family, she doesn't really fit in there because she doesn't have a power. Her sisters kind of push her to the side, make fun of her for not having a power. Even her abuela doesn't really want her doing things. So they have a scene early on where they have this big party, and she's like, what can I do to help? And she's told basically, just stay out of the way and don't mess things up. Just be scarce, that's how you can help the most. She doesn't really fit in with her family. But she also doesn't really fit in with the village around, with the other people, because they see her as part of the family. She's part of family Madrigal, not part of their family, not part of the, the village. So she's in this weird spot of she's part of two communities, but not really. There's someone else who has fit into this category before. Moses. Moses, we're going to have a quick recap here, born to a Hebrew family while they were enslaved in Egypt. During this time, there was a decree that the Hebrew boy should be killed, and so through a series of events, through a very shrewd and cunning mother and sister, and through divine intervention, Moses finds himself adopted by the princess of Egypt. So Moses finds himself Egyptian royalty, even though he's a son of Hebrew slaves. But he doesn't really fit into either family he's a part of either. 
He doesn't ever really seem to be fully accepted by the Egyptian family as royalty, but his Hebrew family doesn't really accept him either because, well, he left and went up there. He, he, he abandoned us and moved away. So he's in a weird spot of not really having a community, a family either. Now, if we jump back to our movie, things start to go wrong for the family. The family somehow starts to lose their magic. Their gifts they have start to fade. One of the sisters is crazy Hercules strong, and she starts to not to be able to lift things. One of the sisters um, is basically poison ivy and can control plants. She starts to not be able to do that very well. So things start to fade. The house itself, which is kind of the epicenter of this magic, starts to get cracks in it. And so Maribel tries to fix things, tries to do things, but it doesn't go well. And this is a clip from a little later in the movie, but, but, but it highlights the idea of what I'm getting at. That no matter what Maribel does, it doesn't work. And it seems to make things worse, and it seems to make her family angry at her. I'll show this second clip real quick here. All right, so we can kind of see there that it's no matter what she does, her family's not accepting her. She's taking the blame for absolutely everything. And this is parallel with Moses as well. One of the earliest stories we read about Moses is he's an adult now. You know, he's, he's, he's been adopted. He's a prince of Egypt. He sees some... Hebrews out working, and he sees their taskmaster, the person over them, mistreating them. So Moses steps in and try to intervene. He doesn't go well. He ends up killing the taskmaster, hiding, burying the body. But he thinks, like, you know, I've, I'm, I'm helping my people out. I'm helping my fellow Hebrews out. It's not really seen that way. The next time he comes out and sees them, they all kind of hide. and are like, don't get involved in our problems. Last time you got involved, you killed a dude. Absolutely not. No, get away from us. So he ends up having to flee the country because his other family, the Egyptian family, is now wanting to kill him. So both of his families, once again, have rejected him. He has to flee. He has to leave. And even a little later, so I'm going to jump a little bit later, kind of into the Moses story. After he comes back and has, you know, gone to the Pharaoh, done his famous let my people go speech, it doesn't go well at first. Because Pharaoh has this idea of like, wait, if the, basically, if the Hebrews can unionize and bring a rep before me, they have way too much time on their hands. They are obviously not working enough. So what he ends up doing is making their work harder. They're tasked with making bricks. He basically takes away half of the material and says, you have to get it your own now, but you still have to do the same number of stuff because you obviously had so much free time before. And so the people obviously aren't happy. They're angry at Moses. And so this is them, after this decree has come down, yelling at Moses. Lord, look upon you and judge. You have brought us into a bad odor with Pharaoh and his officials. You have put a sword in their hands to kill us. I just love that phraseology, basically. Like, you have made us stink to these people. People are not happy. And this is, you know, toward the end of the story where Moses has accepted, like, oh, God has sent me. I'm the anointed one to do this. And it's, why is it going like this? So, jumping back into our movie, once the magic starts to fade, once the house starts to crack, Maribel decides, I need to go into Bruno's room. Because Bruno was the uncle, or the, you know, the 
oldest generation brother, the, the uncle of Maribel, who is the one who could see the future, who could get visions. One of these visions scared him, and he just left. He's gone. But she thinks it might be a key to figuring out what's going on. So she goes into Bruno's room, which is an abandoned wasteland desert. As she's going through here, she eventually finds the prophecy Bruno made and puts things together and ends up figuring out that she's the key to fixing everything. Like, she is the person to save her family. She's the person called to deliver her family. Same thing happens to Moses. Moses, after he kills the Egyptian, flees out into the desert, flees out into the barren wasteland of Midian. While there, he starts a whole new life. He lives there for a number of years, gives up all of his royalty, and is a shepherd. As a family, starts completely over. So one day he sees a burning bush. And at that burning bush, as we read earlier, he approaches it. It's, not on, it, it's on fire, but it's not burning. What is this? And then from the midst of it, he hears the voice of God talking to him. And God tells him, I've heard the cry of my people, and I'm sending you to deliver them. You are the one to save your family. It has to be you. I think what's even funny comparing Moses to Maribel, both of them even have a spokesperson. So Moses' big complaint or counter-argument to God is, I don't speak good. I can't talk to the people. You know, he's, he, he's bad at talking. You know, whatever that means, whether he stuttered a lot, just could not form sentences well, whatever it was. And so God's response is, yeah, but your brother Aaron's like an orator, right? So there you go. Now you have your spokesperson. Same thing with Maribel. Family's not listening to her at all. So she finds Bruno, who, while they don't necessarily like, they respect his authority. And so Bruno becomes the spokesperson that the family listens to. I think it's interesting that both of them each are called to do something with their spokesperson to help. Now, as things wrap up, it is only through the reconciliation of Maribel to her family that things start to get better, specifically through her sister and her abuela. It's once those two reconcile, those three, reconcile with each other, the magic starts to come back. And it's really the family has to put their trust and love in Maribel. They have to accept her as part of the family and accept that she is the one that is going to save us. And it's never explicitly said in the movie, but I'm pretty sure she is the physical manifestation of the house. She didn't get a power because she is the house. And so she is the one kind of controlling everything. She is the one called to lead them forward. And so when that happens, this happens. So goodbye for a second there. You see, once they embrace her as a member of their family and in love, the magic comes back because she was the magic. Similar thing happens to Moses and the Hebrews. The people are not free. The exodus cannot happen unless they trust Moses, unless they accept Moses as even part of their own people to begin with, but also as their leader, also as the one God has appointed and called to save them. Nothing can happen. None of, none of the plagues, none of the parting of the sea, nothing. N none of that comes to pass 
if the people don't trust Moses, if the people don't put their love and compassion and trust in their called leader. So what is the take-home from all of this? What, why are we talking about Moses? Why are we talking about these, these two in tandem? Well, I think the biggest take-home out of this is that there is no person that cannot do amazing things for God. And I think it's, can you take that further in that God will often choose the least likely person to do the greatest things. I mean, just look at these two. Maribel, no gifts, seemingly, no gifts. Completely overlooked by her family. Not respected by her siblings. Not respected by kind of the outside population because she's part of this family, but nah, there's this disconnect. And then we have Moses. Not respected by either of his families either. His blood family or his adopted family doesn't, is always afraid. We didn't really talk a lot about it here, but one of the running themes about Moses is he is maybe the biggest scaredy cat in the entire Bible. He is terrified to do anything. He is always trying to be like, nope, nope, I'm not the right person for this. Get someone else, get someone else, over and over and over again. But yet, he's called to lead his people out of Egypt. He's called to save his people. And I think it is so... Amazing how God will often choose the least likely person to do the greatest things. And it highlights just how amazingly powerful God is. So this is a dumb example, but say a, for some reason, a car comes flying in, lands right on me here on stage. Say John runs up, picks up the car off me. We would probably attribute that to adrenaline, right? John's a big dude. John is strong. We know this about John. So we'd be like, yeah, of course he'd be the one to pick it up. But if like Madeline or Leo or Mason or someone ran up and just picked this car off, that's a, that's a lot of adrenaline. Like that, no, there, <laughs> something else is going on there, right? We would jump to, well, that's, that's more of a miracle because that is, no offense, unlikely to happen, right? God does that all the time. He chooses the least likely to do amazing things. We get highlights just how amazingly powerful our God is. There's lots of examples from the Bible of it. One that I always like is Gideon. There's a story of Gideon where he's has, he has to fight an opposing army, and he kind of musters himself an army. He's like, okay, we're outnumbered, but this is doable. I, this is, with good planning, we can do it. And God's like, nope, too many. Sends a bunch away. And the second time around, Gideon says, whoa, this, this is going to be harder, but I, I, with, I think we, we can still pull this off, I think. Send more away. Send more away. Send more away. Until at the point where it's just ridiculous. Gideon's like, why? Why even send this group out? It's so there's no choice but to realize, oh, when we win, it is because of God. It is not because Gideon's the greatest tactician ever. It is not because of anything of human design. It is 100% God. I think that's why God often chooses the ones that we ourselves would overlook. We would think, no, of course not. But God knows potential. God knows heart, love, all of that. But that's why often people are chosen for great and amazing things. So, 
that leaves us with really no excuses, right? I mean, if this movie and this story highlighted anything, it's if we, if we feel called, if we, if, if we hear God kind of, you know, inkling in our head like, hey, I think this would be a great thing for you to do. This is what I'm calling you. Talk to this person. Do this thing. We can't really stay like, well, I'm, I'm not equipped for that. I don't know how. I, I'm not the best person for it. But you're the one God has called. You're the one God is telling to do it. You're the one God has chosen to do that. And that's all we need. We can prep for absolutely ever. We can spend years prepping. Right, there was an exam I took a while ago, number, number of years ago, but I studied so much for it. Hours and hours and hours, days and days and days. Get to the exam, and it was something I learned like four years ago that I could not have studied a single thing and would have been just fine on it. So we often think of like, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. You are. God wouldn't call you to do something you're not ready to do. Embrace that. Own that. Run forward with that. That is such an exciting thing that we have a God who will lead before us, who will put us exactly where God wants us to. God won't put us anywhere where we're not supposed to be, where we will be overwhelmed and drowning in what's going on. God will put us exactly where 